There is no medical reason why you two cannot have children. That was what a fertility specialist told us in the spring of 2000 after four years of trying to have a child. After four years of tests and fertility drugs and hope followed by disappointment month after month. When I heard those words, there is no medical reason. I realized it was God. The same God we had been praying to for a child was the reason we could not conceive. At that time, God was leading my heart for adoption. Now, infertility is devastating, and Don and I needed time to mourn and to heal before we moved on with anything. So it would be close to a year before we pursued adoption. Now, adoption is a big, scary thing when you know nothing about it. There are so many options, so many stereotypes, and so many unknowns. But God stepped up again for us and started putting people in our lives that had been touched by adoption in one way or the other. And these people were truly a godsend. We also leaned on God tremendously in this time as he walked with us through this. And in the spring of 2001, we started a journey with a private attorney to adopt. And after many sleepless nights and Many, many prayers, our prayers were answered in March of 2002 when we were blessed with a beautiful baby boy. Six years after we had planned to start our family, God revealed to us his plan for our family. And it wasn't long before our hearts were stirring again to grow our family, and again, God led us to adoption. And in 2004, in May, our second beautiful son was born. As our boys grew, we started thinking about adoption again, but this time it would look very different for us. God was placing foster care on our hearts. We went to an information meeting. We started filling out all the paperwork, but we just never finished. And as months turned into years, um, foster care to adopt was becoming less and less of a reality for us. Well, in February of 2011, God got our attention. I was having some troubling symptoms, and I went to the doctor, and I found out I was pregnant. I couldn't believe it. In fact, I didn't believe it. I, um, they had to show me the test. I had to go home and take the test. Um, I just couldn't believe it. Um, however, later we found out that it was not a viable pregnancy. It was an ectopic pregnancy. And the pain of infertility came crashing in again. I could understand why all that was happening. I had to have um, emergency surgery um, because my tube had ruptured and I was bleeding internally. And once again, we mourned and we grieved and we moved on. Well, the following year had lots of changes for us. Um, we moved, the boys changed schools. And after things had settled down a bit, I remember going for a walk one day and um, as I was walking, I was praying and thinking about our future, and God spoke very clearly to me. And he said, if you do not do foster care, you will have been disobedient to me. Okay, that scared me more than all the unknowns of foster care. I wanted to obey him. So we signed up for the next call training, and we went. And I was really anxious at that first um, meeting. And as they were telling us stories and experiences and 
different things, I thought, what are we doing here? Let's just get up and leave. I actually was fully on board with foster care at that time, and by the end of the next meeting, Don was as well. We were excited to welcome a child into our home, whether it was for one night or forever. Before we became an open foster home, a friend of ours called Don that was fostering a little girl. They had just had their third child, and they realized that they needed to close their home. Don was excited about the opportunity of us welcoming this little girl into our home. So we sat down and we talked about it. And I looked at her like she was crazy. I was all on board for foster care. But this little girl was 14 months old. At 41, diapers and naps and potty training was something I just wasn't wanting to sign up for again. And by the time she was graduating college, I could draw Social Security. And... We talked about those concerns, and those concerns were laid to rest with Don's response. She said, what else would we be doing? Well, in June of 2013, we welcomed this um, sweet, precious little girl into our home. Um, It was a huge adjustment for all of us, and at times we both did struggle with clarity whether or not we were to be her forever family. But we knew that God had called us to move forward, and so we took it one day at a time, and we trusted God, and he was faithful. As we took it one day at a time, he uh, made it clear to us that we were to be her forever family. After our ectopic pregnancy, I thought I would never um, know the side of heaven why all that happened, but um, I believe I understand a little bit now. We were losing that calling for another child after our pregnancy loss. Um, God reminded me that he could have intervened and he could have brought that baby to term, but he chose not to. He had somebody else in mind for us, but he wanted our attention and our obedience. Throughout this whole process, one of my favorite reminders um, that God gave me was a specific date, February 24th. Um, February 24th is the anniversary date of our pregnancy loss, a really hard day. Um, But February 24th is now a day of celebration because it's our little girl's birthday. God gives life. He opens and closes the womb. On September 30th of this year, we became her forever family and she became our forever daughter. I I don't know what kind of home you came from or your ideal of a home. But man, what an amazing God that we have, that he is a good, good father. We can call him daddy, even he talks about that in scriptures. We can refer to him as daddy. And he's our father and he embraces us and he accepts us. And I appreciate the Hortons coming and sharing their story in such a personal way uh, with us. I hope that you see and can feel the realness in that. We all have an idea of what a family how it comes and how it originates and how it exists and how it functions. But I think we also are faced with the reality that not every family comes from the same origin, that it has a different look and a feel to it from time to time. And I, again, I love the Hortons. They have been a part of the church since way back Bentonville High School days. They're just one of us. And we've seen their family, walked with their family, cried with their family, and now rejoice with their family as they have gone through so many uh, changes and adjustments 
through the years. We have been in a study. This all connects together. We have been in a study from in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, for several weeks now, we'll finish it up Christmas Eve night when we'll talk about the final character quality of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we want to see him as our, as our Father as that adoptive father in our life. If you have your Bibles, look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're talking about the promise. We've been looking at this 2,700-year-old promise that it took 700 years from the day that it was given to become a reality of Christ coming to earth. And we look at it today and we see it again in that manifestation that Christmas is not a one day a week of uh, a year event, but it is an everyday event. We might celebrate it once a year. We should celebrate it daily. We should not see this as a time in history, but a time in present in our own life. And that's what we try to do. And this is, again, an unusual Christmas series, if you will. But we've tried to connect it. This is not an ancient story of an ancient prophecy given years ago that has no connection to us. It has very much a real-life connection to us. And you've heard it every week as we've looked at that. Let's look at the prophecy again, Isaiah 9, 6, when it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called, shall be called. The character of who he is will be this. He will be wonderful counselor. He will be a mighty God. He will be an everlasting father, and he will be the Prince of Peace. We'll look at Prince of Peace on, 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 uh, on uh, Christmas Eve night. Hopefully you'll be back for one of our two gatherings uh, in the afternoons on, on, on that evening. But we've just looked. I have taken a look every week at one of these qualities. First week, we've looked at the wonderful element of Christ. That wonderful element presupposes that there is wonder. If there's no wonder in your relationship with Christ, then that's a shame. You have lost it. He's become institutional. He's become a person in history. He is wonderful. There is wonder in there. You heard the story of Monty and Shelley Moore. As, as Monty shared this whole 20-year journey of being uh, basically away from Christ, walking away, wondering, using the other word wonder, wondering away from Christ for 20 years until the point they had children, realized that they were missing something, tries to engage his children back in church only to be told by their oldest son, Parker, that he hates God and he hates the church. Wonder had been lost in the Moore home. Wonder had vanished but what Monty began to do is began to, as a, as a leader in the home and Shelley began to see that their family began to engage in the wonder of Christ again in a beautiful revival awakening in their own spirits beautifully happened. And next Sunday at that spot right over there, Monty will baptize his son Parker because Parker no longer hates God in the church, but he is now in wonder of Christ and the bride of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. So that'll be next week as we look at the wonder, as we, uh, as we, as we see that full uh, circle. Last, and then a couple of weeks ago, we heard about Christ as our counselor. And you heard from the McCullers. <sighs> what a heavy, what a very heavy moment that was in their life when in a matter of a second, their family tree almost vanished. Their family history almost got a new chapter in it. And it did get a new chapter, but it got a chapter that includes the heading that Christ is a counselor. 
He's been with us. He is with us. He is still with us in the healing of our bodies and our emotions. He's carried us through it, and he will continue to carry us through it. It's a beautiful picture, even though born out of tragedy, of Christ, the Holy Spirit, walking with us, walking with us in the darkest hours of our life. Last week, you heard from Leodra, our children's pastor, and how her and her young body, just totally no reason for this at all, but yet she has gone through brain surgery, has experienced other surgeries in her, in her young body and experienced so much pain. And she lives this day as your children's pastor with a constant reminder of pain throughout her body, pain that you and I, I can't even identify with. But what she has learned through that, even though her pain is mighty, God is still mightier. God is giving her grace. He's giving her peace. He's giving their ability to walk through, persevere through, and to make it through that. And again, this week you heard the Hortons talk about that whole everlasting father, that forever family element that should be there. And it's a beautiful story uh, in their own life. Again, I love the whole idea that when Christ comes, he doesn't come to establish an institution. He doesn't come to establish a religion. He doesn't come to establish some hard-edgedness about him, that you, some abrasiveness, but he comes as a father. What does that mean? For God of the universe, God of perfect God, God of creation, God of all order, that he would come to us in all of our disorder, in all of our dysfunction, in all of our inadequacies, how could it be that perfect God would embrace us? I want you to be thinking about that, but I also want you to be, because one of the things that has happened that's been birthed through this process of our our people telling their stories is it's resurrected or it's brought up many stories in your lives. I know I've had people make appointments with me. I know I've talked with a number of you. I know Leodra was stopped by two different people last week just sharing with them, sharing with her their own stories through pain and suffering and how God has been present with them. And so we were sitting in staff meeting this week and we realized we wish we'd have forward thought this because it looked like we were geniuses, but we're not. Okay, so we, we thought, you know what we need to have is we need to have a forum. We need to have a place where people can go and share their stories, where Jesus has been wonderful, Jesus has been a counselor, where Jesus has been a mighty God, where Jesus has been an everlasting father to them. And at that place, we've created a Facebook group, if you will. It's called Jesus Is. You can just, Jesus Is, run together, and you can find it and join it. It's a group, so it's not going to be just publicly out there. You've got to want to be a part of it. But it's a place where you can go and either by video or by just writing it out, tell your story. It's a place because there's so many stories in this room of what Jesus has been to you. Let's get it out there. Let's share it. And let's let everyone uh, rejoice with you as you as you share. So let's take our Bibles and let's find the book of Ephesians. You'll find it back in the, in the New Testament. Not a hard shift. I think it's all going to blend together here in just a moment. But let's just continue this thought and then unpack what it means for Jesus to be our Father. Again, some of us, in fact, all of us, I think, carry with us wounds through life. Most of us carry a father wound through life. Whether, you know, whether we come from a great family or a dysfunctional family or a broken family, there is a wound. Now, it's not just picking on dads. There's mother wounds as well, all right? But the reality is we carry wounds from our parents, from our childhood. 
We, parents, get ready. You inflict wounds as well. All right? So your children are going to need counseling just as much as you need counseling. Uh, the, the point is, is that we all are in this messed up world together, trying to figure it out, trying to navigate it together. And we need a good father model. And we see that in Jesus Christ. And you'll see that today as we look at Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is an amazing book. If you don't know what you're going to study in the New Year's, open the book of Ephesians and just start at verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, and just slowly go through it. It is a powerful book in, in totality. F.W. Farrer said it like this, is the most sublime, the most profound, the most advanced, the final utterance of St. Paul's gospel uh, to the Gentiles. I mean, that's how he described the book of Ephesians. W. Carver said it like this, the greatest piece of writing in all of history. That's the book of Ephesians. Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan was actually one of the inspirations of the metaphor behind Pilgrim's Progress was the book of Ephesians. So you'll find that throughout here, that this is a very powerful book. Now, it starts off with this humongous run-on sentence, 202 words in the Greek, 14 verses in your Bible, and it's this one long run-on sentence of praise to Jesus. Praise to Jesus for who he is. Praise to Jesus for what he's done. And we get to see a little bit of that today. And we're going to get to see, in fact, let's just get a sampling of it in Ephesians. Let me turn over there myself. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Now notice the word blessed. Notice how many times he uses the word blessed. There's a theme here. Blessed be the God and Father of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual, notice the word again, blessing in the heavenly places. So here it is, blessed, blessed, blessing, and he's going to say it again and again and again throughout this book. The idea here is that we are blessed because of Jesus. And because we've been blessed because of Jesus, we need to turn around and bless Jesus with our life with our worship, and here it is in this, in this chapter, he just starts off and he jumps into this praise, into this praise to God. He uses this word blessed, blessed, blessed. This is the same word, listen to this, this connects it to the Christmas story even more. This is the same word that Elizabeth used when, he, when she saw Mary for the first time after she became pregnant. Jot this verse down, Luke chapter 1, verse 42. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you, young woman, uh, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed, blessed. It's the whole idea of your life has been, has received favor from God. Now, do you feel like you've received favor from God? Do you feel like you've been embraced by God? I hope that your relationship, I'm assuming a lot here, but I hope that your relationship or your identity with Jesus is not some institutional religious thing. It's not just coming to Grace Point Church. It's not just going back to your childhood church. It's not because you're a part of the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church or the Baptist Church. It's nothing of that. I hope that that only adds to, adds value to, but it is not what you're identifying when it comes to this whole God thing. And I hope what you really look at is the hope that you really see. I hope what you really feel inside of your chest, inside of your heart, is that Jesus is my Father. He's my heavenly 
Father. He's my everlasting, never-ending Father. He embraces me. My life is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and that came to us through Christ. Now, how is it? How is it that you and I are blessed by Christ? I think you can see real quickly how it fits into Christ being our everlasting Father. There's two blessings that we are here. There's more in this 14 verses. Again, we're only looking at three or four verses. So we're not even going to get to all of them. But uh, let's, let's, let's look, look at verse 4 and following and you'll, you'll get, start seeing it. Here's the, here's the first blessing. Even as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us. Again, there it is again. He's calling us blessed. You've been blessed because Christ has done something in you. Not because you joined the church. Not because you were baptized. But Christ has done something inside of you. And now what is that that He has done? He stepped into your life as a father. Again, I know we all have our perceptions of what a father has been. Maybe your father was there. Maybe your father wasn't there. Maybe your father was, was, a, was a, a, a picture of love and embrace and acceptance and, and, and unconditional love. Maybe your father was not that. We have a father relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. That makes us blessed. Now, let's look at the process of it. How did this happen? Did it just happen because He created us? No, because in that creation, we fell, okay? Adam and Eve fell, your mother and father, my grandmother, our grandfathers, all those people fell, and you know what? We're failing as well. But here's the beauty of it. Christ looked past the failures. And the very first way that we are blessed is that He, God, chose us. God chose chose us. Now that may not be a big deal to you, but I, I, I want to I elevate it today. I want to help, you know, allow me to, to, to kind of ramp this up today a little bit, okay? Because I want to say this, and I'm going to stick my neck out on the line when I say this, but none of you all got here by accident today. I, I'm going to go so far as you didn't just drive by and get, maybe you did, you got lost and you ended up here, okay? But I, I, don't, I don't think that that you just got here by accident. I think there was something that happened in your life or you made a decision or you were having your cup of coffee and you were getting ready this morning or you were, couldn't sleep in. And, and so there was something that triggered in you, I think I need to go to church. All right? You felt that. All right? And for some of you, you have a drug problem because you were drugged to church. All right? You don't even want to be here right now, even as I say. Let me just say again. I don't think you're here by accident. I think, and I'm going to stick my neck out here, I'm thinking and I'm proposing that it was a part of God's plan for you to be here on this day, in this hour, to hear this message that may revolutionize your life for all eternity. Because you have been living in this world thinking that you're the master of the universe or you've been living in this world trying to figure it all out and all along you have been being chosen by God chosen by God. And He's been working on you. He's been drawing you. 
You didn't get here on your own. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No one comes come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's a, there's a beautiful thing that happens in Scripture, and it happens throughout the New Testament where we learn that we are both chosen, but yet we also get to choose. We have a free will, but God has a sovereign plan. Now, it seems like an antinomy. It seems like a contradiction, actually, but it's really an antinomy, antinomy where they, they seem like apparent contradictions, but they actually go together. In theological circles, there's debates about this all the time. But what we, instead of trying to solve the problem, we need to live with the tension. Because the Scripture makes it clear that in Second Peter chapter 3 that that God's not wanting anybody to perish. And, but yet in Matthew chapter 22, it says that, that there are few chosen. And then it says in, in John 3.16 that whoever believes in him won't perish, but they'll have everlasting life. And we know that verse, but at the same time, we might forget Romans 9 where it speaks about that there, we are chosen vessels, some for honor and some for dishonor. And then you go to John chapter 1, verse 12, and it says, but to as many as received them, to him he gave the right to become children of God. So I have to receive him as well as him choosing me. Ephesians chapter 1 says, verse 4, let's read that. We just read it earlier. It says, even as he has chosen us or chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is why I know that you didn't get here by accident. And this whole relationship with God thing is not an accident. That literally I believe for some of you all today, it is that culminating moment when you realize that before the foundations of the world, God knew in time, in space, He would put you here and you would be here at this hour. That's the bigness of God that I believe we have. And the knowledge of God is that He knew you would be here. And that you would hear that you were chosen. You were chosen. And a life principle for the, in, in, in all of this is this, is that I can do nothing to earn God's love, but neither can I do anything to lose God's love. He just loves me. He just chose me. There's nothing about me that makes me over you more special, more lovable, more acceptable, more choosable, if that's a word. You know, there's nothing about me that makes me more appealing than you to God. God simply just chose me as he's choosing many of you in this room today. He's chosen you. That's a beautiful thing. Dwell on that. I, I told this story before, so let me, let me t- tell it again. But I can remember whenever I was uh, going into, I think my, it was my sophomore year in high school and and it was a two-a-day football practice time, and I was—I went to Rogers High School in Rogers Mounties. That was the only school at the time, and and the two junior highs were merging together. And I went to Oakdale, and the Oakdale and Elmwood were coming together. And I can remember—I uh, was just kind of the the vanilla kid, okay? I wasn't as strong academically. I was—I I, I wasn't the prep. I was just kind of in the mix, okay? I was never chosen. I was never even on the ballot to be the most likely to succeed, uh, the best looking, the best dressed or any of the other, the wittiest. And I, I mean, I might've been the one that got voted to be out of school, kicked out of school more than anybody else or things like that. But that was never one of those things. I was never one of the untouchables is what I'm trying to say. I was just vanilla. It was the end of one of our two day football practices. And I was walking back up to the field house, all sweaty and nasty and dirty. And the cheerleaders were over there doing their little cheerleader thing. 
And they were cute and they were doing their cheerleader thing over there. And I'm walking up there and I come to find out that one of the girls in the cheerleader squad saw me and liked me. I was impressed considering the way I looked and smelt and all that at that time. And so I was pretty, pretty cool. Now, who was it that likes me? Oh, her. Well, she was from a crosstown school and she was voted the year before as the best looking in the school. All of a sudden, the best looking in that school liked me, Vanilla, uh, in this school. It was actually didn't smell like vanilla at this moment, but I mean, it's, it was just, it was just me. And all of a sudden she liked me and we got together and, the story ended six months later when she dumped me, but we'll save that the rest of that for another day. But there was nothing, as there is not today either, nothing about me that made me attractive for an untouchable, for the best looking in the school. There's nothing about you. There's nothing about me that makes us anywhere attractive to God except that he chose us. And that's beautiful. And if you don't say any prayer to God today but this, just say this. Thank you, God, for choosing me. Because I got a lot of reasons why you shouldn't choose me, but you chose me anyway. And that's a beautiful thing. And why did he choose us? He chose us in verse 4 that we should be holy and blameless. See, he also chose us with a purpose. He chose us so that we would be like him. He chose us that we become like Him and look like Him and and act like Him and think like Him and that we would emote like Him and we would have relationships like... See, He He chose us. He was the one who instigates the salvation experience, but we are the ones that give evidence to that. And when He chose us, He wants us to be like Him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, He said, He called you to be holy. You are also to be holy. He who called you is holy, you also to be holy in all of your conduct. Our life is to be different. Not because we're just supposed to follow a bunch of rules. We're supposed to be different because we've been chosen by God. It's a beautiful thing that he puts us on a course, on a path, on a a course correction. Now, I know some of us are like, okay, I want to be like the world and the world's evil and ugly and I got to get out of the world and get in my little holy huddle over here. Listen, that's not the answer. The answer is, how can I be like Christ in this dark, desperate world? Not escape from the world. How can I be like Christ in my workplace, in my schoolhouse, with my sports teams, with my athletics, with my uh, uh, social clubs? How can I be Christ in there? J. Wilbur Chapman said it like this. It's not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. So it's not the Christian in the world, but the world in the Christian that constitutes the danger. We, being chosen by God, are called to become like Him. How am I like Him? How am I becoming like Him? But not only that, He didn't just choose us. He didn't just pick us out of a lineup. He chose us, and then, listen, 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 He adopted us. He made us one with Him. He made us co-heirs. He gave us His name. Christian means little Christ. He says, you are mine and I am yours and we're together and I am in you and you are in me and we are one and and we are going to go through this life together. I become a child of God. Don't let that grow cold on your ears and on your heart. That we become 
Him because, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we look better than somebody else, not because our talents and skills are there. He chose us and then He adopted us and made us His. Verse 5, if you look at, at, at Ephesians there, verse 1, or chapter 1, it says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise and the glorious grace in which He has blessed us in the beloved. See, God adopted us so that we would belong to Him. We all have our ideals for what a family looks like. But as you heard the Hortons share their story, I know, I know if you were like me, I first hurt with them in, in the infertility and the struggle. I hurt for them when their prayers weren't answered the way they wanted. I prayed and cried with them when they had their Coptic pregnancy. Um, and we have this idea of what a family should be. But there's three children that were chosen, that were adopted, that were made a part of a forever family because they were embraced. It is beautiful that God embraces us, that God brings us in. Hosea 11 verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Lori and I have very few regrets in our 24 years of marriage. There is one regret that we have. I have regrets. She has regrets. But together, having regrets, we have one deep regret. And we can't go back and change it. We can't go back and write it. It's just a regret that we will have to live with. And God has given us grace through it. But we had a dear family that we were connected to when we lived in Zambia. And some of you all have heard this story, so please bear with me as I share it again. But this family... Richard was the dad's name. I never knew the mother of, uh, of Ruthie in memory, but, uh, but Richard, because she'd already passed away of AIDS. But as you can imagine, a husband and wife living together, wife has AIDS and dies, the husband will not be far thereafter. And so that's exactly what happened. And pretty soon, memory was fatherless and motherless. Well, in that culture, what happens is the, the, the aunts and uncles begin to take the child on. They don't embrace that child. They don't love that child as their own child. They, create, they, they treat that child as a slave. In memory, dear, sweet memory, was, was taken in by her uncle, was taken in as a slave, was fed the last and the only what was left over at meals. And we, we totally were going about our American life living, yes, in Africa, but we were living it, doing our own thing, and we were missing this opportunity. And it wasn't until we came back to America. And it wasn't until we had started Grace Point. It wasn't until we were going full-fledged about three or four years ago, all of a sudden God woke us up to the realities of what memory was going through. And we did everything we could to get her to the States to adopt her, but it was too late. There's not open adoptions in Zambia. That's not a possibility. There's, there, there, was, there was so much that we uncovered that it was a reality. Ends up that memory goes on and escapes that abusive childhood and marries somebody and has two children. And God forbid, you know, it's, it's, it, he leaves her. 
and leaves her in Africa with two children, blessed in faith, and uh, memories there being hugged by Jordan and Lori. Um, and we can't do anything about that. We can't fix her. We can't fix that situation. Now, we are doing everything we can. As we've told her, we are now your mom and dad. You, are, you, you can't come to America. We can't bring you. We can't bring faith and blessed. It, it, it won't happen. It can't happen. But I'll tell you what. We are going to be your mother and father that we should have been a long time ago. We have chosen memory and we have adopted memory. And if I showed you my text on my phone, I would show you that every single week I get a, a, a text from memory saying, Mom and Dad, I love you. I sh- which, which, which in- encourages me, but it breaks my heart on the backside because it was a missed opportunity. See, the reality of what real Christianity is, real Christianity is, is it's not this institution. We were busy about planting churches and growing Grace Point. We missed the opportunity to be in someone's life. Real religion, according to James chapter 1, real religion is whenever... There is pure religion whenever they take care. God the Father means by caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress. That's what real religion is, and we were missing it. We were doing our own thing. Well, from that, there has been a movement birthed in part. It was already happening around Grace Point, and we just we we were awakened to it. God began to show us. There was a lot of families in Grace Point already at that time five years ago that were adopting and fostering. And, and we just began to fan that flame and it became our ministry. There's a lot of churches that do uh, uh, pantry ministries or food ministries or clothing ministries. Our local ministry is mosaic. And I love to see the fact that we have in our church 15, 14 families that are foster families, open, ready to receive children. In, in a moment's notice, 12 families are adoption families. We have continued to expand to where we are. We have uh, helped start an orphanage in Zambia, and we are helping to fund that orphanage in Zambia. We send teams there every year. We're sending a team there in July if you want to go, so just let us know next week. Uh, so that's, that's the kind of level of commitment that we're going to be involved. I had a mother in our last service. It's a single mother who has started her own nonprofit to help care for foster children. This is something that we see as an awesome part of the DNA of our church because real religion... It's not just taking care of our own. Building buildings is taking care of widows and orphans. That's what we want to be about. It's what we're about this year. It's what we're about in the, in the past years. It's what we'll continue to be about. I don't know if you realize this, but there are 450 children in Northwest Arkansas DHS foster care right now. 450 children. There are 500 children right now ready for adoption. This is not for the faint heart. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. If God hasn't called you to this, you don't need to do this. But God may be calling us. And we're just not listening. You know that extra place setting? Or two or three at the dinner table? Or that extra bed that's now empty because the kids have gone off to college or moved on? Or that extra space in the car that's now empty? That nobody's there? Have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, that God has allowed you to prosper and to grow and to become who you are so that you can create space and have a home for a child who doesn't have a home? 
what I would love to see. This is my vision. I would love to change the weight. I would love this church and other churches, and I know other churches are about this. I would love to see so many Christian homes open. So many families say, hey, listen, I'm going to open up my home. I'm going to be the Jesus in northwest Arkansas that I can be the best Jesus that I can be. And I'm going to open up my home, and I'm going to change the way to where there's not children waiting for homes, but there are homes waiting for children. Would that not be a beautiful answer? Whenever we open up ourselves enough and we say, I am available, I am open, I am, I am here, right here and now. Let me, let me take a moment. Let me talk about this coming Wednesday night. That is Christmas Eve, right? Wednesday night? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Wednesday night, Christmas Eve. We do something every year. If you'll give me just a moment, I want to tell you about it. And then, and then I want to close the message today. So every year we'll do our traditional Christmas Eve service. But every year, one day a year, the reason i got to tell you now is because it's, only, it's going to happen this week. And then it will be done. We take up one time a year, on one day a year, one offering. And everything that comes in on Wednesday night, Wednesday and the two services that we have, everything will go to one of these three areas, all right? The first third will go to the ministry budget. What does that mean? What's ministry budget mean? Let me just tell you what that means in one snapshot of this past week. Two families come in that have marriages that are struggling. One dealing with infidelity. One dealing with other issues. We're dealing with that as a church pastoral team. Walking with them, trying to bring those ragged edges back together again as best we can. Another man comes in who's homeless. has been homeless for a while. has even been attending Grace Point Church from time to time. Moved here with nothing, has nothing, and is going nowhere. We helped get a roof under his head. We're now going to help him move to the next step of trying to find a job, consistently holding that job down. We wanted to do that. Let me tell you what happened on Wednesday night when 150 youth got together and, a, and, and 50 adult volunteers got together. They just began to love on Loving Choices, a crisis pregnancy center in, in our area that helps people who are dealing with those early childhood decisions that, that they don't know what to deal with. They prepared, let me get my numbers right, a hundred it's-a-girl bags and a hundred it's-a-boy's bags. These bags come with diapers and bottles and pacifiers and blankets and socks and, uh, and washcloths and toys. Every penny spent came from your offerings at Grace Point Church. We're going to bless 200 newborn babies with that. And that's just one week of 52 weeks out of the year. So that's where a third of the offering that comes in on Wednesday night will go. Let me tell you about the other third, another third. So as you know, we're, we're, we're working in church planting. We have been about church planting from the beginning of our church. We are now broadening it. It used to be a lot international. Now we're bringing it back home. We're working with a church in Boston and St. Louis. Well, there's going to be more on that, so just keep your ears open and your heart open. But one of those churches, the Encounter Church in Boston, I was speaking with them about three or four weeks ago, and I said, okay, how much is it going to cost for you to get everything that you need to launch this brand new church that four families have moved up to Boston to help start this church? 
It's going to cost $170,000 to get the trailers and the equipment, the sound, the lights, everything that they need to set up a church and break it down inside of a schoolhouse every week. I said, 170000 That's more than we spent. Okay, prices have gone. I think, we've, we, I think when we started, it was 100000 is what our budget was. I said, give me just your children's budget. What's it going to take? We've got a young church with lots of young families. What's it going to take for your children, your preschool, your babies, to have baby beds and have crawling mats to crawl on and toys to play with and check-in systems and all that kind of stuff? Just your children. It's going to cost 31300 and $63 just to get them ready for lunch. One-third of everything that comes in this Christmas Eve will go towards that. I hope and pray that we will meet and exceed that for that church that's launching. But let me tell you about the last third. We are bringing it straight here to our Mosaic ministry. Mosaic is turning broken pieces into art. And I see our foster and our broken homes around Northwest Arkansas and the 450 foster homes that are foster children that are out there. I see that as a broken piece. I want that to become a beautiful piece of art. I see our families that make up our church family that are opening in their homes. They want to open their homes, but now they got to go buy a baby bed. They got to buy car seats. They got, I hope we'll have funds available that we can give and pay for and help these families get through these expenses that comes with adoption. That's what we plan to do with this year's Christmas offering. I want you to get to see and know some of our families, some of the 14, 12 families that are in foster and adoption families inside of our church. Get to know some of them right now. Our family is different. Our family. Our family. Our family is a little different. We might look, act, and smell a little different. Sometimes we can be a little crazy. Sometimes we can be a little crazy. At least that's what Mommy says. I know that God has a plan for him. I know that God has a plan for us. I know that God loves me. I know that God loves me. Did you know that there are over 4,000 kids in the Arkansas foster care system? And right now, there are over 500 children waiting for their forever family. We found the missing part of our family. We found the missing piece to our family. I found my forever family. I found my forever family. We are all called to do something. Will you answer the call? You know, we all have a part to play in this because real, true religion is when we take care of widows and orphans.